Blog Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the feed industry is a trillion dollars of profits from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own feed. Aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the foods that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered foods. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. Are public protection agencies in charge of the decisions we make for our health and the foods and pharmaceuticals we put into our bodies, put in place to keep us safe? But who are these consumer protective agencies, and what are their functions, particularly regarding the regulation of GMO? Have you ever thought about it? The FDA, USDA, and EPA make up the big three in American consumer protection. But are they doing a good job? And who are they really working for? Tonight we'll take a look at the historical actions of these agencies and the people driving them, and we'll see if we can shed some light on those very questions. Do our protective agencies really have an interest in protecting the public? As American consumers, we have been instilled with the notion that our government cares about us, that they care about our well-being and desire us to thrive and prosper. We are taught that we have rights and freedoms to be enjoyed within our privileged system of democracy and that justice most always prevails. And when it comes to the food we eat or the pharmaceuticals we ingest or the air we breathe, we have the innate assurances that we are protected by the laws and policies set forth, monitored, and enforced by certain federal protective agencies, our great defenders. But who are these agencies and what do they oversee? Can we assume that they really have our best interests at heart? See, the authoritative titles of our federal agencies would make most of us trust them implicitly. After all, who would ever question the government scientists, doctors, experts, and high-ranking officials within the walls of these institutions? Surely they know what they are doing and are held to a high standard of virtue, morality, and responsibility. Although this may be a comfortable image to hold in our minds as we go about our daily lives, a deeper look into the historical record and actual mechanism of these agencies and the people behind them reveals something entirely different. We all know that corruption exists in the government and that politicians aren't always as truthful as we would expect them or hope them to be. Scandals surface periodically in the media about breaches in morality of government officials or gross negligences uh, resulting in some kind of human tragedy. But even still, 
most of us might give our government the benefit of the doubt and err on the side that anything bad or corrupt is only a small fraction of the big picture. However, because these things do happen, questions begin to emerge. Questions that ask, if something like that can happen, what else could be going on that we don't know about? Are we really as safe and protected as we have believed all along? So now, let me try to bring more clarity in answering these questions as we talk more in detail about the nature of our protective institutions. The United States has three primary protective agencies. The United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, and the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, all priding themselves on the protection services they administer to American citizens. These agencies are enormously powerful and control all safety regulations in major sectors of this country overseeing pharmaceuticals, agriculture, food manufacturing, biotechnology, chemicals, and our environment. However, although they have been established to protect the health and safety of the American people over the last several decades, these institutions have come under much scrutiny as to their effectiveness, accused of operating more like corrupt business-driven corporations than regulatory gatekeepers. And ironically, despite the questionable activities of these institutions, they are still trusted implicitly by most Americans. The stamp of approval from any of these agencies is considered the final authority and gives the outward perception that products, services, and processes that pass their inspection are actually safe and in the public's best interest. The reality, my friends, is quite the opposite. Many high-ranking positions in these agencies are held by former employees of various large private companies whose interests couldn't be further from public health and safety. And this has created a frightening degree of collusion and conflict of interest between government and big business resulting in multiple cases of bribery, exploited scientific research, the sharing of proprietary patents, and the fixing of pivotal regulatory policies that benefit big corporations. So who are and what are these agencies all about? Well, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA, was established in 1862 by Abraham Lincoln, and it is the oldest of the federal protective agencies. Now, in its earlier years, they worked primarily to help farmers with their crops and to aid in getting food to those American citizens who needed it. Today, its mission has expanded to include monitoring and inspection of food supplies, which includes all non-game meats, uh, developing markets for agricultural products, providing financing for housing improvements, and the development of certain utilities and infrastructure. The USDA also plays a key role in regulating biotechnology products produced in the United States and actively supports bringing these to the global marketplace. The USDA, however, has been tangled in a long list of ethical oversteps. Some of these have involved influencing government funds and programs to benefit particular markets. For example, a program named Dairy Management Incorporated, DMI, was created by the USDA to funnel government dollars into vigorously promoting and selling dairy products in the private sector and all over the world. It operates as a money-making business, investing millions of dollars in various businesses and then shares in the profit as a result. DMI partners with several fast food corporations funding ad campaigns for McDonald's, Domino's, 
Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and others to boost dairy sales. This is just another irony, considering the USDA also spearheads the federal fight against obesity. They funded Domino's Pizza to develop and promote Domino's products. For example, Domino's launched the American Legends line of pizza that was advertised as having 40% more cheese than Domino's typical pizzas. The Dairy Management Corporation also worked with McDonald's to launch McCafe specialty coffees and three new burgers with double the cheese on them. It also helped YoPlay develop new yogurt chip technology. This government-run corporation has been insured to continue as it was renewed in the most recent farm bill passed by Congress. The USDA also owns a list of patents it has accumulated through the years. And just like a money-making business, they charge royalties and fees to companies that use their patents to develop commercialized products. There are several patents co-owned by the USDA and private corporations, such as the Terminator seed technology it currently holds with Monsanto. This particular technology allows for the control of seed proliferation by rendering them genetically infertile after only one generation. Terminator technology has been considered a means of enforcing GM seed sales in countries where U.S. patent laws do not apply. Now, both agriculture and biotechnology are governed by the USDA. Although it conducts its own limited research on genetically engineered crops to determine if they are safe for human consumption, this agency relies almost entirely on the test results provided by the biotech companies themselves. And because there is an implicit partnership that exists between the USDA and the largest biotech seed companies, biotech products are typically approved and allowed to be expedited to market before adequate testing has actually even been completed. The using of safety test results provided by the very companies hoping to commercialize a product defies logic. Yet when it comes to satisfying the most important step in an approval process, this is the standard protocol throughout all federal protective institutions. And that is frightening. The second major United States protective agency is the Federal Drug Administration, the FDA. It was first recognized as an operating institution in 1906 under President Roosevelt, and it governs the safety of new chemical drugs and certain foods. Today, it is responsible for protecting and promoting public health through the regulation and supervision of food, including GMOs, tobacco products, dietary supplements, pharmaceutical drugs, vaccines, and medical devices, among many others. The FDA currently oversees about 80% of all food in the United States, and it is charged with guaranteeing its safety, sanitation, and proper labeling. However, like the USDA, the FDA is fraught with inconsistencies and corruption at all levels, bringing into question the reliability of their stated mission. The FDA is particularly known for the revolving door phenomenon, where top-level positions in the agency are occupied by private sector corporate executives from big biotech, agribusiness, and pharmaceutical companies. These individuals are responsible for crafting federal policy that greatly benefits their corporate roots. One of the most notable examples is Michael R. Taylor, who has gone back and forth between Monsanto and the FDA for years. 
Well, at the FDA in the early 1990s, Taylor helped develop the concept of substantial equivalence, a concept stating that genetically modified crops are equivalent to native ones. And this policy granted biotech corporations an incredible advantage in the marketplace that has continued on to this day. The FDA is known for being lax in its standards regarding pharmaceuticals and genetically engineered products. As with the USDA, it conducts very little of its own independent research, but instead makes comprehensive safety assessments based on studies provided by corporations. And usually there are no follow-up tests conducted. In the 1990s, the FDA approved the genetically modified Flavor Saver Tomato with only minimal testing, trusting corporate findings and determinations that it was substantially equivalent to regular tomatoes and therefore completely safe. This was the very first genetically modified food item the FDA approved, and so this set a precedent for a multitude of other corporate GM food products to come. More recently, they rejected the natural sweetener stevia, claiming it to be unsafe, and they blocked it from being imported. However, because they did approve Truvia, a genetically modified version of stevia produced by the Coca-Cola and Cargill corporations, it is claimed that this is yet another example of the FDA using its regulatory might to benefit the biggest corporate players, not the safety of consumers. Years before, they granted the go-ahead to commercialize the artificial sweetener aspartame, a GMO sweetener developed and commercialized by biotech chemical giant Monsanto. Also known as NutraSweet, aspartame has been linked to a host of health problems, including brain cancer, diabetes, emotional disorders, epilepsy, and others. Although Monsanto sold the rights of aspartame some years ago, the sweetener is still being produced and used ubiquitously in food products around the globe. The FDA's seemingly profit-driven approach to public health and their favoring of corporate interests has placed countless consumers at risk. There is a long list of flagrant oversteps by this agency, beginning in the 1950s when they failed to recall an antibiotic drug that was making thousands of consumers ill. In the 1970s, subordinates of the FDA claimed they were forced to report falsified documents and research at the direction of higher-ups, a disturbing trend that continues on today. Just last year, the agency was found to have fudged the data to over 100 generic pharmaceuticals between 2005 and 2009. This is scary stuff, folks. Despite knowledge that these drugs required further safety testing, they chose not to inform physicians, pharmacists, or the public. Currently, they have neither recalled the drugs nor supplied a list of which drugs are even being retested, if any. There is a company called Mylan. It is a pharmaceutical company whose suspected FDA employees were accepting bribes from competing companies. In order to determine if this was actually true, Mylan hired private investigators who found that bribing occurred frighteningly often. FDA officials took bribes from pharmaceutical companies and in return expedited the approval process for respective drug products. Bribery from pharmaceutical companies is perhaps the most dangerous form of treachery to the public because it allows the bypassing of rules and regulations specifically implemented to keep the public aware and safe. 
If officials in the FDA can be bribed so easily and extensively, how then can this agency possibly be trusted in their claims that GMO products are perfectly safe and equivalent to organic foods? We know through independent studies and mounting evidence they are not safe and not equivalent. And they have shown us time and time again they cannot be trusted with our safety, health, or longevity. Their corporate revolving door and inner conflicts of interest regarding the writing of policy and approval of inadequately tested products are disturbing evidence of that fact. No business-driven entity can be trusted when decisions are made first from the standpoint of profit and political maneuver. Consumers deserve better. We deserve to be protected by our Food and Drug Administration. But it is so clear we are not their first priority. The third federal protective agency is the United States Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, which was created in 1970 by President Nixon for the purpose of protecting human health and the environment. It has the responsibility of monitoring, maintaining, and enforcing a variety of environmental laws. One of its more specific functions is to oversee the production and use of pesticides and toxic chemicals. As with the USDA and FDA, the EPA has demonstrated a general disregard for public safety by prioritizing corporate interests. According to a study by the Natural Resources Defense Council, thousands of toxic chemicals intended for use in agriculture, home and garden, hand soaps, clothing, and other consumer goods undergo minimal or no testing by the EPA. This encourages companies to ignore safety measures and rush new chemical products to market in significantly less time. Also, because of leniency toward corporate powers, this agency allows an increase in the toxicity and dosage levels of certain chemicals already in existence. And here's a scary example of that. They just recently raised the acceptable limit for Monsanto's glyphosate residue that can be found on foods. They raised it. They did this because current amounts of the herbicide have become ineffective against weeds and therefore more must be used to combat them. If the EPA did not increase the threshold for allowable toxic residue, Monsanto would lose revenue. Instead of finding another possible solution, the EPA simply chose to expose consumers to higher glyphosate levels and they did it knowing the elevated risk people would be subjected to. According to the National Institute of Health, glyphosate has been shown in several recent studies to be an endocrine disruptor and danger to reproductive health even at lower exposure levels. A study done by scientists at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology also concluded that glyphosate enhances the damaging effects of other foodborne chemical residues and environmental toxins and pointed out that its negative impact on the body is insidious and manifests slowly over time as inflammation damages cellular systems throughout the body. Knowing this, what is the logic for a federal agency like the EPA to raise, not lower, but to raise the allowable limit for this toxic chemical? Like the others, the EPA is also guilty of the revolving door policy. The largest private sector sources for its positions are Monsanto and Waste Management, Inc., 
two of the most flagrant environmental offenders in American history. Since 1970, at least 12 high-level officials in the EPA also held positions in one of these two companies. The most notable is William Ruckelshaus, who was appointed to the EPA's top position on two separate occasions by Presidents Nixon and Reagan, respectively. Mr. Ruckelshaus also served on the board of directors for Monsanto, Weyerhaeuser, Pfizer, and Pharmacia, among others. Linda J. Fisher, a former assistant administrator of the EPA, is now vice president at DuPont, but before this was vice president of government affairs for Monsanto. And there's Lydia Watrude, a former microbial biotechnology researcher at Monsanto, who is now a researcher for the EPA. There are several other failings of the EPA. One in particular is their endorsement of consumer water supplies with fluoride, a well-known danger to human health. The most commonly used form of fluoride in water contains a toxic waste byproduct from the fertilizer industry that is often contaminated with arsenic, aluminum, and other industrial contaminants. This poses grave health risks especially for infants and children, as arsenic exposure in utero and during early childhood can result in impeded brain development and damage to the endocrine and immune systems. My friends, understand this. The entire framework and policy for genetically modified foods has been shaped, managed, and executed largely by biotech business executives, as well as the scientists, and government officials associated with them. Based on studies produced by biotech corporations and pro-GMO institutions, it is clear their results are consistently aligned with the misleading philosophy of how safe and necessary their products are. A philosophy that is supported in full by our protective agencies. The three agencies put in place to keep us safe are putting corporate profit before consumers. There is not one shred of negative literature coming from these people. Any scientific study proving the indisputable dangers posed to consumers is systematically downplayed, ridiculed, and taken out of context, all to strengthen and promote business objectives. Unfortunately, the public perception of our protective agencies is not accurate. They have grown too large and are frighteningly influenced by those who stand to gain financially from the policies they form. The USDA, the FDA, and the EPA, the three government protective agencies put in place to keep us safe, are putting profit and political and corporate interests before consumers. Well, we deserve better, and we must collectively demand it in what has become the necessity of protecting ourselves. So now we'll move on to a special segment of the program called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks out there have kindly taken the time to write into the website with their questions and comments. And to close each show of the program, I'll go through as many as I can. And we'll start off this evening with Tia. Tia writes into the show and says, Hi, Anna. After following the whole GMO thing since just last year, I noticed so many things reported in the news about it. One thing that particularly has my interest is the GM salmon issue. But ever since I began seeing news about the FDA possibly approving it for sale, it's been confusing to me to know for sure if it is. I heard it was already on the market and being sold, and then I heard it wasn't. 
but I've always heard it's really close either way. Has anyone heard the latest on what's going on with the GM salmon? Well, hello, Tia. Thanks so much for writing into the show. A lot of people are asking that very same question. Actually, the Canadian government has already approved the sale of genetically modified salmon in their country as of last year, but the U.S. still has not okayed it. So technically, it has already been introduced into food supplies for human consumption. The overall plan by the company that produces the GM salmon is to have it accepted in the U.S. market, and with this, hopes that others will follow. But there is a lot of disapproval by concerned watchdog groups and scientists claiming that GM fish will have irreversible impacts on the environment and uh, ecosystems. The dissent from these groups has caused many delays so far, but as of now, experts say that an approval in this country is imminent and will likely happen sometime this year, which, of course, is not a good thing. Uh, but that's where it's at, Tia. Uh, great question, because if and when this occurs, as you probably know already, it will be the very first GM animal approved for human consumption in the United States. Uh, you know, and, and this, this would obviously set a precedent for other biotech applications to uh, animals, you know, fit for consumption. Uh, again, not a good thing uh, at all for the anti-GMO movement. But still, it's in the hands of our protective agencies. And considering uh, what I've just been talking about in the show uh, tonight here, I'm not confident in the motivations and wisdom behind determinations made concerning this issue. Uh, one good piece of news, though, are statements by Safeway and Kroger that they will refuse to carry GM salmon if it is approved for sale here. So that is at least encouraging. Again, thanks so much for writing into the show. Appreciate it. And up next, we have Joel. Uh, Joel writes in and says, Anna, thanks for all your work in raising awareness for GMO. I'm a subscriber of your Living Eden magazine and listen to your show all the time. I was rocked by your article in your magazine a while back about three parent babies. Have you heard anything more about this? I hear they're doing this over in England now and that we're next. Talk about genetically modified. Is this really going to happen? Hi, Joel. Thanks so much for writing in and for your kind words. Uh, three parent babies are a very new thing that many people still don't know about. So for those who don't, it's a procedure that takes cells from two mothers and puts them with one father. The intent is to replace certain sections of DNA from the mother that are likely to pass on certain diseases. Uh, with healthy DNA from a donor, therefore mixing genetic material from three separate people. So actually the UK has not given approval for this procedure yet, but they are likely to do so very soon this year. Uh, they will be the first to implement such a radical approach to fighting hereditary disease, but this procedure is still not without considerable risks, both in a physical sense and also, of course, in a social sense. Uh, there are many people speculating that if three-person babies are allowed, the next step would be doing other fixes to the human genome, uh, essentially ushering in a whole new form of eugenics. And it is true that the FDA is reviewing the technique now. 
but it's hard to say when, uh, not if, but when they will give any kind of approval in this country. Um, the thought is that we're waiting to see how things sort of go in Britain first uh, before serious consideration is made here. But this is something we definitely uh, need to keep our eyes open on. Uh, this, this is one scary, uh, one scary. A prospect with with what we're talking about here. So I share your concern. Thanks again for writing into the show. And up next, we have a comment from Roberta uh, Lamp. I hope I said that right. Uh, Roberta writes in and says, I have more of a comment on food in general. It seems that I keep reading about new revelations about the ingredients that are actually in our food. Nothing is healthy anymore. GMOs are bad enough, but what about all the other stuff like chemical additives, preservatives, and things like dough conditioners, anti-foaming agents, and enhancers? Why do they feel the need to put all that in a simple food like bread? I'm confused and wondered what your perspective is on all of this. Thanks. Well, hi, Roberta, and thank you very much for your great comment. It is pretty disheartening, isn't it? Uh, you know, this has actually been troubling me for some time now. If you're like me, when you look at most ingredient labels, you'll see a daunting list of chemical names that not many of us know how to pronounce, let alone uh, know what they're for. The bottom line is this. Food companies put clever little additives and agents into processed foods, including something that should be as simple as bread, to make it last longer. It's all about preservation. Uh, preservation and, and uh, to appear more delicious and to enhance taste or texture. But none of this goes to improving the product for the sake of consumers. It's about making sure food companies make more profit. And to tell you the truth, some of the food additives used these days are more frightening than GMOs themselves. And I actually hope to do a show on, on this very, very soon. Uh, I want to talk about all the chemicals we're consuming every day while thinking we're actually eating healthy. Uh, however, knowing about some of these might make you change the way you view food and what is good for you and what you're really eating and what you can do uh, to avoid products that even come across as healthy because some of the things that are supposedly healthy couldn't be more unhealthy. So I share your concern. Thanks so much for writing into the show. And with that, I've run out of time in this segment. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, just fill in the form and send me along your thoughts. I'll feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice does matter and will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation, and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. I also want to tell you about the Facebook page for the series. If you are enjoying the show and would like to participate in some more interactive communication, I would love for you to come and give a like and join in at www.facebook.com slash Anna Kavanaugh Mad Science Genetic Crossroad. You can also follow the show on Twitter at GMO Mad Science. And I'll hope to see you there. 
Thank you for listening to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. Please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. On next week's show, that's Tuesday, March 25th, we'll continue our conversation with an episode named Beyond Conspiracy. There are numerous theories passed around about the sinister objectives of the corporate biotech machine, so much so that it is difficult to know what to really believe. Are there wealthy organizations using biotechnology for a more sinister agenda? Is the public being manipulated and kept from the truth? Some activists and conspiracy theorists are making frightening claims, but we must go beyond the conspiracy theory to find out what is really going on. I hope you'll join me for next week's broadcast. If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed.